Hi everyone, I'm Paula Diana and this is Unleashed the Game Changers. Today our guest is a real game changer in the art sector. She's an incredibly successful entrepreneur. She's very young for being so successful and I'm proud to call her my friend. Thank you Maureen Tengi for being here with us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm the one that's very proud to call you my friend, so thank oh. you for having me. I'm really happy to have you as our guest because I think your story is fascinating. Oh. Everything you have done in such a short period of time and what you will do in the future because I know you have a strong vision mm -hmm. about you know, the art sector. And also I'm fascinated by the fact that you are a real disruptor of the industry because you created the first international global agency for artists. Can you tell us more about what it is? Um, so I've basically been in the sector, as you know, for 13 years. I, it's interesting that now we've been so disruptive because I think, frankly, I was just interested in art. I was interested in artists, I was interested in art. And I thought success must be to be working in a gallery, to be supporting them, to see them success, uh, successfully succeeding and, and to be that person that will get them there. And as I started my career, I therefore became the gallery manager of Steve Lazaridis, who discovered Banksy and JR. And I was running the gallery for him for two years. And I was approached by an investor as I was still running it to open my own gallery in Los Angeles. So I was in London. And I decided, why not? I'm 23. It would be mad to say no to an investor that wants to put money on your head. I'm sure you know that. Exactly. So you have to say yes and figure out later. And I went to Los Angeles having never really kind of even dreamed of Los Angeles. And I arrived in LA and I was like, look, this is amazing. Like in just a few years, you've achieved what you wanted to achieve, which is to run a gallery to support artists and someone is, is enabling you to building it. And as I built the gallery, I was very lucky to encounter someone called Michael Levitz. Now, Michael Levitz, for the talent agency sector and Hollywood itself, is one of the most powerful men, I think, of that sector. And as I was going through the mentoring and, and I was lucky to meet him regularly, it kind of struck me that he, he had built the company I wanted to build. And I, had, I was in a, in a company that was mine, but that was not the company I wanted. And it was, it was a tough risk because, you know, I was... We had launched a gallery with celebrities. I was very public. Um, and yet the stomach, and we're quite similar, my stomach was pushing in. My stomach was just like, it's the wrong thing. It's you the wanted wrong more. Idea. It's, not, it's not the future of the sector. It's not the way artists want to be represented. They want a lot more different types of contracts. They don't just want to sell their works. And I also want brand partnerships and public art. And you can see the different types of partnerships you could bring in and clients you could bring in. And basically, the more I was listening, how I built CA and that talent agency, the more I was like, I want to build that. So I decided to um, to break my first business partnership, which was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made, because sure. I was living on Hollywood Hills with a beautiful Beverly Hills gallery, <laughs> and I had to go back to being broke on the sofa bed. That was a very nice transition. And but. I, I just thought, I'm getting put on trainers, and even mentally, I went from my beautiful guns, very LA, very like Getty images, to trainers, and I thought, let's just rebuild this. Let's I try and it. build this vision. I took the whiteboard, and I was just like, let's build the first talent agency in the sector, and, and you, let's do it. You did it in London, And right? I went back to London to do it, yeah. Okay. And I literally just sat on my bum, and then just took the whiteboard, and just thought, what is a talent agency? What is the core values I want to add? How can artists become more mainstream? How can they inspire larger audiences? 
what kind of clients will come to them. And I wrote everything on my whiteboard. And the reason I did it on the whiteboard is because I thought it's going to change. My preconceived ideas will evolve. So yes. I kept on going back to it. Um, and I wanted to be doing it on trainers with like my kind of leggings and jumper because I wanted to understand every layers of the foundation I wanted to build. So that by the time we were kind of larger again, then I had understood really sure. what foundations we were resting on. Um, and I don't know why, but it was like Master Mac again wanted me, wanted me to do it that way. But so it's, I did it that it's wonderful. way. It's wonderful because you, you could risk everything and you were not scared of risking, right? Because you were so young. It just and, feels uh, instinctive. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I think that's also why we, we became friends. But I feel like instinctively, my stomach was just like, you will regret yeah. it if you don't do it that way. I understand. And really. so I was lucky to listen. And I was lucky also to have a lot, to have nothing to lose. I mean, what yeah. was there to lose? I mean, of course reputation and fear of humiliation or failure and all these things, which I think when you're a bit younger can matter. But frankly, there was not much to lose apart from yeah, that. Yeah, but if you don't have the courage to risk, you will never be an entrepreneur, right? Totally. Because, you know, it's part so of the business. I'm glad it worked out though. I know, <laughs> I know, touch wood. It was definitely yeah. like one in a million chances of it working out. So I'm beyond grateful it but, has worked out. Yeah, of course. But you know, the art sector usually, you know, traditionally comes like with galleries, correct? Yeah. So the artist goes to a gallery and promotes, you know, himself and eventually the gallery accepts to uh, have them, you know? Totally. So why you disrupted this system? Because now you are representing the artist directly, correct? So yeah. without the gallery. I think what's, um, I think again back to the stomach is that I have been the young girl who has dreamed while reading books, while looking at art, while watching a movie. And, and it has made me as a, as a young girl wanting to do things. And I think ultimately, as I was building the business, I wanted to integrate that young girl. And the system I was part of would not have inspired her. It would, just, it would not have fitted her in. Yeah. And I think that's why I think we added so much of the public art components. That's why we added so much more of the digital storytelling component and all the brand collaborations because I wanted the dream magic life. And I think in a weird way, what I was a part of was a dreamland for high net worth, which is beautiful, but not a, not a, a mainstream dreamland. And I wanted both. I wanted my artists to contribute to boss parts. Um, and I was, as I was designing it, it kind of felt obvious and the gallery system and the art world in general, and that's why it's called the art world, it's not even a sector, does respond to a type of people in an a type of environment but that's beautiful and i'm so lucky to be part of that world but it's not it for me like sure. visuals are ultimately everywhere around you they don't they're not just confined to a luxury home or a luxury hotel or a luxury museum they are ultimately also meant to be in in your daily space i love what and you inspiring say. you in every yeah. in every way so i think i just kept again it's so weird i think again um, then I was 25, but I was really kind of thinking what will make me proud if it works out? And it was really that little girl was think, who kind of kicked in because I think from 20 to 25, I was trying to respond to what the sector had designed, what success was meant to be like for the sector. And at 25 of MT Art, I actually responded to what my five to 10 years old would have wanted to build. And in a non-cliche way, it just felt so much more natural and so much more meaningful was the first part I felt I was responding to desires that I actually didn't have. And I 
there's only so much you could do to carry a success that's not yours. I think there's a point sure. of it that it, you get tired of it because you are in representation of something that's not yours. Yeah, very interesting. And you know, I, I love what you say when you think that uh, you know art should be for everyone. So it should be a great component of uh, you know of a city, of a town, totally. you know, of a common areas. And I know you do a lot, especially here in London. But I know you're doing a lot all around the world, correct? Yeah. Well, it's, it's magical. Like if you walk through, like just down the road from here, there are public art projects everywhere. And, and generally, I'm now that person who hides behind a bench and watch people looking at it. And I can't even tell you how much it fills me with joy. And, and we're lucky to have clients like URW, Westminster, Crown Estate, Mayor of Paris, who just trust us to handle the storytelling, because that's very much the storytelling yes. of the streets. Um, and that's why I prefer to look at it that way, because I just think, again, if you have a crap day, you're walking home, yeah how can I possibly enhance it through art and and what kind of storytelling and visual storytelling can I be adding in in that moment and and it just is quite magical that it has happened and I think that tangibility is, is what makes my life a really happy one yeah but I totally agree you know everyone should live surrounded by beauty mm -hmm. you know I come from Italy and I was lucky enough to to live for a long time in Rome yeah. in the very center of Rome you know that it's like a museum in open air totally and I think that uh, in the past you know they had the popes especially they had the same idea that you have about public art because uh, you know you go around the churches you know the the piazzas you know the totally. fountains uh, it's all public art right so it's, uh, totally. it's when you start studying history of art with actually religion purely because the church had understood the drama of life and what i call the drama of life as you know is the acoustic of the church is the candle lighting that makes it more dramatic but also that kind of cinematographic way yeah. of like entering a church and and kind of seeing different representation of it and and the power of visualizing um a story which is so much stronger because 82 percent of communication is visual it's actually not verbal so what you pick up from a visual is so much more impactful but the church i mean if you watch if you walk into some churches and you think that you know there was no tv there was nothing you just walk into it it would have been there would have been people singing the candle lighting the artwork coming out the light i mean this would have been incredible i think you could have had the most horrible day you probably would have walked into this thinking wow um and I they were totally um they understood this from the start um which is why in Italy and in France you have the most incredible churches and exactly. altarpieces. Yeah, I was recently in Paris for Paris Photo and it was so beautiful to walk around, honestly. But, you know, I only have a problem because I think we invest a lot in very rich areas, yeah. but I think we should do the same in poor areas, Truthfully. especially, you know, for people who don't Truthfully. have, you know, enough uh, money to invest themselves, you know, in art. Totally. I think they need beauty as well. I think maybe, you know, society would be a better society. What do you think? So I think it's, it's, it's always the biggest debate. So as you know, I come from Ile-de-Ré, which is from the west coast of France. So I was not educated, surrounded by the art world or the arts per se, but I was waking up every single day and I would be five minutes from the sea. And like Wonderful. you, it would be beautiful. Like there was not a day, even in the winter, where you're not thinking, wow, this is so beautiful. Um, so I think I was educated to appreciate beauty, but also how healing beauty is when you're having a bad day. And even though I was not partially in the art world, I could understand it through the landscape I was surrounded by. Um, so I totally agree that I think 
like I would love a more equalized world where visually all of us feel more valued through the visuals that are shaping us around us. I think the reality is, like you said, that wealthier areas usually have more funding dedicated yes. to this. There's also not a counter argument to say that if again, you have such pressing issues, it's harder to negotiate a budget for public art. And I think that has been a big part of our role, and that's my first academy paper, is to show the value of public art, but really looking at mental well-being, yes. looking at people who live and work there, and, and kind of ask people on the ground. I feel like a politician, because you basically, as you know, you would know very well yourself, you have to be on the ground asking every person. You basically get rejected nine, nine out of 10 times yeah. for someone responding to you, and that's generous. But asking really how people felt towards this, and, and the, the amazing piece of that academic paper, which then became a TED talk for me, was the fact that even in poor areas, people really valued it. Um, and when we did it in Tower Hamlets here in, in East London, people really kind of responded super positively to it. But I think in the mind of people, those are not pressing enough issues in those neighborhoods. Yeah. I agree this should change, um, but I think it's through educating and, and listening to people on the ground actually want. And in, in, the, in the data study that we run, people were very pro having more art in their surroundings. So I think it's hopefully multiplying the studies, asking people on the ground, listening, and, and making sure that we respond storytelling-wise to what they want to have, um, and, they, and be respectful of that. I love it. And you're not making the art more democratic in this sense. You're also making uh, better for artists themselves, right? Because you, you're giving them definitely more money. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're giving them more chances to be an artist, to support themselves, because totally. you do a lot of brand collaborations, correct? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, I'm surrounded by three of ours, uh, Claire Luxton and our dear uh, David um, Aziko, and actually Delphine as well, Jello. Um, I think... As you know yourself, I think what I wanted to try and construct, again, is back to storytelling. The reason I do things is I do them because I like the people who drive them. Um, I'm like you, I'm a people person. So if I think someone has the right values, the right story, is trying to do the right thing, I will be there in, a, in you know, I, I will want to support that person. Sure. I saw this a lot in my artists where I felt they had incredible stories. They were trying to push things story-wise. They were incredible values-wise. They were incredible technically. They were incredible. And I was trying to think, how can our collectors see that more? And how can they get more support people to see this? So I think it's quite magical. Like we're launching a Gucci campaign with Tiffany Buell, our talent on the 10th oh, of December. Fantastic. And I see them as stars. I think in a weird way, when I was on the shoot for Gucci um, with Vogue for her, and you know, she's like the center of the attention and she's the star. I was like, that's my Los Angeles background. I'm like, I could not understand in Los Angeles. I was like, why is that person a star and not my artist? They're, in, they're fascinating people. They should have the full spotlight. And I want, I want people to be all around her and telling her she's fabulous and she's really interesting. Like I enjoy being the behind the scenes of this. And I just felt visual artists didn't really have that. It felt like there were always those poor little people that were lucky to maybe be supported. I wanted my collectors to feel they were collecting the works of stars. And I wanted, um, you know, the, the, the brands to be enhancing them and telling their stories and put them on the front of campaigns because 
I get the same amazing feeling that you, you will have towards an actress, I get it towards a talent. I just think, sure. you know, they're fascinating people. So I just wanted the spotlight to be more on them. And, and it's an extra source of revenue through that too. Of course, because it's hard to be an artist, right? Especially to, to start. Totally. You know, because uh, of course, when you are successful, it's easier. But definitely to start, I think many of them, uh, maybe they can't afford that. So totally. eventually they, they leave, right? Totally. Totally. And I think especially as we bust on that something that we have in common where female-wise they leave as well because there comes a point where as you know in our 20s we can do whatever we want to do and and be on the sofa beds but once you have kids and everything you need a financial situation that is actually decent um and that's sadly where you see a lot of women artists quitting um i'm a, i'm really happy first to have 50 50 female and men artists. That's wonderful news. Which is really nice. Word um, and actually, you know what? We haven't tried to have it. It just happened naturally, which That's is even nicer because it's a whole question of biases. If you're not biased, it Fact just it. happens naturally. Yes. It just happens that there's as many talented men than female out there, which is, I think, a really nice feeling that it was not done to tick a box. Um, but I think, therefore, I'm proud that, you know, women artists earn well. Like, they... I That's want great. them, to, you know, to have kids to grow and be successful and and to feel in a place where they don't feel they have to choose. Um, because I think, as you know yourself, it's something that's heartbreaking when you feel a woman doesn't feel she can do both. Yeah. Um, so I think specifically on the women, women artists, it's something that I'm very proud of, that they have decent lifestyles and that they can continue to be who they want to be independently of their decisions personally, which fills me with joy um, on that level. That's fantastic. That's a nice feeling. Yeah, no, as you know, I'm a strong feminist. No, no. <laughs> this is why, nice feeling. Yeah. Good karma. So I'm really, really happy about this news. And uh, I would like you to share with us uh, how it was for you to um, your journey as a female entrepreneur, because I'm sure maybe it wasn't easy sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, I'm a very, um, I'm very much, I think we're similar. I'm a good duck. Like I can be on the surface and paddle on the knees really quickly. And I can learn on the ground really quickly as well. And when I'm lucky, so I was, as you know, I started my career at 19 on, on, in Becker Square on the pad. My first boss was very much into late nights. And so he basically dropped me to run the stand. And I was selling things from 50,000 pounds to half a million having never done Alone that. by yourself. Completely by myself. And I just <laughs> had to set up the stand. And I still remember my mini shorts and my weddings. I was so not adapted to what I was about to walk into. And I walked into this. And I think there was a point of, like, I basically got really interested in that world. First of all, is the world of influence and wealth and power that I did not ever kind of understand or had come across before. But also in a weird way, it just, because I didn't have any background with these people, I was able to build much faster connection with them because for me, they were equals. I didn't have, I didn't have the concept of what they had achieved or not or where they came yeah. from. I just didn't have that knowledge. And the lack of that knowledge meant that at 19, I sold, um, I made over half a million in just that week at the, at Berkeley Square. And I just thought that I would research things quickly on Artnet. I will agree it, I do the invoices. And it just was one of those things where I was just trying to learn on the spot. So I was just like, how oh, do you do this? Let's do it. That's fantastic. Um, actually, my first two collectors are still very active collectors. And in fact, my very first collector, Yannick Pont, was a very successful businessman in France, is one of our investors. That's so fantastic. it's actually also even sweeter because I still raised out the second one uh, this week. 
that they've actually continued to be part of the story. Because I'm sure for them, they were utterly puzzled that this 19 years old was there. And in fact, I was taken for lunch by the other dealers who were much older, which were totally puzzled. So I think I was in that situation where I could see it was out of my depth, but I think what's nice for me, again, back to the duck, is I don't show them out of my depth. Yeah. I go and figure that out, and I just come back to the situation, and I try to make That's it work. That's a very good strategy. And I, and I have this face of smile, but behind, I'm just like, I still don't know what I got involved into, but I fix it. So I think I had this in me, which was very helpful for later, because it meant that every opportunity that was kind of given at that stage of my life was always out of my depth. Was I was being the Gary manager? Was I owning my own Gary and responding to an investor? Was I setting up my own company? I think now I'm completely within my depths. I'm, I have the expertise on what I'm doing. But in those years, you just have no clue. Yeah. And But I had this kind of thing that if I was ever even a bit cheeky and promising a bit highly, I would make sure that I would be overly delivering in the background. So I would be making sure I would be extra working to always be matching the promise I had made. Yeah. It meant that there were days in between that were very stressful because you're I'm like, sure. I, hope, <laughs> I hope I will be delivering what I have been promising. But it did mean that I have a really nice track record and I'm trusted. And that's why those people have crossed over from one place to another with me, which, which is a nice feeling for me because I can grow with people. That's right. And I can, I can follow through, which is a lovely feeling. And, and I think as a female entrepreneur, I think, frankly, I kind of, again, instinctively, and, and I realized as I grew older now how much of those instincts, I, I was so glad I listened to them because I, I always said to men, I had a dinner after the early night drink. I, I just had this kicking stomach thing that I had to stay out of all parties. I was never in the parties. I was never at the late nights, drinks, dinners, anything. I understand, yeah. I was always a day broad light person. Good. I'm, you know, every time I was put in a different situation, I would re-suggest a 10 a.m. meeting. Amazing, yeah. So I was, I think... You felt the danger. Yeah, I felt so. the danger. There was clearly my stomach saying, you have to navigate it somehow, because yeah. I was also surrounded by people who were fascinating. Mm. Um, and so I built my little toolkit for it. What's really nice is actually, I had men who therefore really went with it, um, and who did take the 10 a.m. meeting, and did mention me and, and did explain to me how they built the companies that they built, which in a weird way made me feel not very gendered. Uh, they made me feel actually That's very good. much, yeah, it was really nice because I didn't feel my gender for a very long time through that. Mm -hmm. I felt there was a sense of danger, um, and that's, but during the daytime I never felt gendered. I felt by the second I could replace everyone in that context, I was a young entrepreneur speaking to, an, to sure. someone that had much more experience. So that was really lovely. And I felt, you know, Michael Ritz was that Yannick. I mean, they were tough on me, like, and they're in a, in a good way. Like, you know, they were pushing me, they were challenging me when I hadn't worked out the economics of things. They were definitely really hard on me for that reason. Um, but at no point did I feel, therefore, that where they would have been different if it was a young man yeah. who was trying to build this company, which I've always been very grateful for. Um, I've rediscovered my gender recently, as in not saying I'm not, I'm not aware I'm a woman. I'm saying in business, obviously, I'm very aware I'm a woman. Um, because I have seen, and we've spoken about that, too many girlfriends of mine giving up mm. in the context of this country, having no childcare for the first few years. Yeah, that's terrible. So in a weird way, I think I was someone that was feeling quite generous professionally again. I feel very happy to be a woman at all stages outside of my professional life. 
But I think recently I have become much more outspoken. I've also become like you, I have more influence. So I now really just want to pack that room with as many women as I can well done. and make sure that like it's filled um, because again, the stomach is kicking in for it. Well done. Um, but I think it's a recent rediscovery because it's a discovery of the fact that in your 20s, everyone felt to be equal. And by the second the kids were yes. thrown in the mix, then yeah. the inequalities felt so much more obvious. And the, the traditional setting of society became even more obvious again. Yes. Um, and so I think I'm in that transition personally as, as, a, as a mother to just realize that actually the inequalities are all kind of re-coming out on the surface. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I think I'm even more passionate to be very pushy about it nowadays. But yes, I wasn't really reflecting on my gender before. That's very interesting. Professionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Not personally, again. <laughs> I got this. Very happy with my flower dresses. Totally happy on that front. <laughs> yeah, because you're a mother now as well. So you yeah, understand. Me. Totally. You know, and, uh, well, yeah, childcare is a huge change in, in a woman's life. And, totally. Uh, and I think also everything. I just landed the right guy. Where yes. I landed the guy that gave me that 50-50 support. That's the best. And treated his company because he also runs a company equally as mine yeah. um, and I landed it by accident because I don't think I thought as much about this um, in advance but now that I, I can see our situation being so different to so many people I'm just like my gosh like this is you know this is such a lucky factor because yeah. his company is never more important than mine uh, the two companies are always side to side, which I realize now, sadly, that is something very lucky. It is. It shouldn't be. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. <laughs> I know it and I don't want to praise him too much because I'm always saying to him, but he shouldn't be lucky. No, because exactly should be what doing he's doing should be normal. normal. Right, yeah. But yet, yeah. actually, it is lucky and he is amazing for doing it, but actually, he should yeah. just be normal. Exactly. Yeah, I was, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, uh, and this mother, she was, uh, she was uh, you know, very upset because she was like, you know, I did so much during my pregnancy. You know, I was uh, lifting weights, doing stuff, you know. And when my husband did it once, uh, yeah. you know, people in my office, they were just praising him like he was a hero. <laughs> he was like this kind of no, superhero so doing something crazy. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I was doing that while I was pregnant, you know, because he was just doing something with the baby, you know, and then the, uh, the totally. I have the same one and yeah. he's incredible, but yeah, I, it's the so, same when we go to weddings and everything yeah. and he overhears how little men puts in. Yeah. And of course, everyone is like, wow, but I'm like, but he's still doing 50-50, guys. It's not like he's doing 70-30. So I like, know like how no, I'm lucky. normally do, yeah. Exactly. But I will want for the generation of your kids and mine that technically this is normal. Yeah. Like, yeah. it shouldn't I be understand. lucky. Yeah. But I really like your attitude towards life because definitely you are a person who takes chances. And yeah. I, I love what I read once, <laughs> that you sent a poem to uh, the BBC. BBC. Yes, I did. <laughs> so tell us more about this. I think it's like, I think what is really nice, I think what which I had early is that I care. So I think I'm messy and clumsy because when you're that age, you're clumsy and messy. You were 18, right? I was 18. And but... I think what people must have seen through, and which is interesting now, because as I'm kind of recruiting for the company, I've realized that really the most important thing is to care. Yes. It's like, as long as you care about the relationship that we're building, whether it's the talents, the clients, the partnerships, you, you, there is a room for mistakes always, but it's that care. And I think what I had was the care, it's a commitment. So it meant that like, 
I would do quirky things to show that I cared. And of course, for the BBC, I didn't want to just send a motivation letter. I was just like, they must receive them all the time. And the person who will be reading it must be so bored to hell. So I thought I'm going to craft something on the vision, which at the time was a whole integration of the arts um, and as a poem. And I thought that would be really nice. I mean, they probably thought I was completely mad. But I think, you know, it's silly things. Michael Levitz, when he invited me to his house, he's a billionaire, he's got the most ridiculous art collection. I came with a cake that I had baked because I was very much within my own means. So there's nothing else I could afford. But I think even the idea that I could come empty handed was yeah. just beyond my own brain. So I just came with my chocolate cake, which is the most easy chocolate cake you can make. Um, and I kind of delivered it to oh, Michael. That's lovely. Yeah. And I think, although at the time I thought it was just cute and quirky, I actually now, 10 years later, think I've always showed care. And I think that my favorite people from the team are, and, and the ones I see growing within the business we're building are the ones that show care. Because ultimately that's what it's done to, it's done to so just you saying, I, I really wanted to be in this room and I'm so grateful you gave me the opportunity and here's a short way to say that I care. Um, and however you show it, I think it's the most important thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. You're right. Because everyone makes mistakes, right? So, yeah. yeah, and you can't know how to do it perfectly. Exactly. We, we, we all learn, you know, even if we are, you know, the boss. We all learn while doing totally. it. But yeah, if we care, it makes a difference. You know? Totally. Yeah. I think so. And I think that's actually what we want to surround ourselves mm. with. We want people who just care about us and vice versa. So I think... That's the main thing. And I think it means that you don't need to have too much experience as you start for anyone that's young that's listening. Because as long as you show that care, then you know that you'll keep this relationship uh, and, and they'll care you, about you. You are authentic, right? In your... Yeah. Well, I'm sure that chocolate cake must have made him laugh. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he probably was like, well, that's what I meant to do with this. But <laughs> I'm sure it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, yeah, I've always done that. It's a sign. I yeah, I've always like done it. this. And I think, I'm sure I remember actually, I bought a painting from this year, come from Nyadri, to Yannick, who has... I mean, he has them all. He's in the ex-apartment of Andy Warhol and he has the most ridiculous art collection. But I had found that it's a painting that represented the sea where it came from. And I think it's the same when I was so young. Yannick must have been like, I'm not sure where I can hang this because it's obviously very crap in comparison to everything else. But it's again, I think it was a fault. And the yeah, fact sure. that constantly I was demonstrating care Sure. And I was able to be there for them and therefore it meant that they were the most amazing mentors, relationship, collectors, partners, all of this. And we've built this company on such a strong community feeling. That's wonderful. So which suggestion would you give to um, a girl or woman that now wants to become an entrepreneur? I think it's two, um, I think there's two things. So I think definitely nurturing key relationships. The yeah. very idea, as you know, to go into anything without key relationship is madness. Because yeah. even if they're relationships that are not in the sector, but just to feel that you have a support system, as you know yourself, this is going to be very hard. It's one of the hardest thing you're going to be doing. So I think, again, who is your net of people? If you were to fall tomorrow, how, what is that net? Yes. And who is waiting, literally, for you to land on them if yeah. you were to kind of fall from that sky onto them. I think that's really important. It's like the support network and making sure that this is a real support network because you will be exposed to decision making that's going to be difficult. So your support network needs to be genuine, real, read to hear things sometimes that are not very easy to hear. Yes. And then the second thing, I think it's, it's it all depends. I think it's to really understand are you building a lifetime business or are you building a business at scale? The two approaches are slightly different. I think business at scale, 
it is preferable, I think, to have experience from the sector or to really try to crack out what is missing in this sector and spend a bit of time on this. Because yeah. the reality is that if you go for a valuation business, like what we've gone for, like in a way I wasn't perfect with my Excel document, but I still had six years in the business, yeah. in the sector, where I had understood what was missing. And so I think whether you do it through like a perfect document and full research, or whether you do it through experience, I think if you're trying to do something at scale with a strong vision and evaluation, you kind of need to understand like why, why is this really necessary in the sector? And if, the, as you know yourself, is there's not a true need business-wise, and there's not people who therefore would be willing to pay for it because there's a true need, then I think you need to reframe from launching it straight away. Now, if it's lifestyle, that's completely different because then yeah. you can grow it organically. It's something that you kind of pile in and kind of adapt to your lifestyle. And again, I think that's a different type of business. But I sometimes see people trying to launch this disruptive business, disruptive businesses into a sector that they've never set a foot in with very little research. And I'm always like, that is so... It's naive and very risky, of Yeah, course. and I think you can't... I mean, we all joke about ignorance. I think you can be ignorant, but you have to back it with some level of relationship or experience. Yeah. You can't just have just everything, just naivety and ignorance, because sure. I think it's it's such a hard thing already to succeed. Most businesses sadly don't make it. No, you that need, you've got to yeah. arm yourself, quite literally, with people who have your back and enough knowledge or experience that would mean that you have a chance for success. Because otherwise, you, you just fail. And I think there's nothing more sad than, than having a nose of female that can't make it. How many no did you receive during your I mean, your I received journey? no's all day, but I don't remember them. I think, <laughs> in, I think what's really nice... you don't like me. <laughs> my mom calls me the Labrador because I'm generally that person who can have a conflict with someone and then six months later be super nice um, because my brain has decided that it only keeps the positive memories. <laughs> and I never remember the negative memories after a while. People are always like, that person was really not nice. I don't remember. It's like my brain decides, no, we, do, we edit this out oh, of the Marie, story. We are so the same, honestly. I it's do the, the best. same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I always look I just I totally forward. forgot. Yeah. So like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very Latin like you. When it happens, I definitely rant and I definitely complain. And you will know there's a problem because I will rant ongoing about yeah. this person or this problem. <laughs> But it then gets to six months to a year, yeah. where it's totally out of my brain. On the, because I think I deal with it on the spot, and then yes. I really get it out of my stomach again. Yeah. And then after this, I don't think about it anymore. But I think it means that I don't take a no for a no. First of all, there's many no's that have become yes. Um, Good. You know, there's many... Because you're persistent and you keep yeah, asking. Yeah, there's many clients who told me no, yeah. and now they're my clients. So I think in a sense, like, no is, is something that can be turned around. Um, there's also no's I have to make. There are actually clients I've decided not to work with because I thought they were horrible. So I think you also learned what are your no's versus what are the no's you want to turn around. Like silly things, there are brands like or investors I dream to work with, like a Frederic Jusset. Him saying no to me, I want to try again. It's like a tennis game because you're like, I know you're smart and I just want to prove you that we are really interesting as a business. Yeah. And that's a no I want to turn around because I value his brain, I value his expertise, and I respect, um, therefore, that the fact that he, if he respects my business is a really good sign. Yeah. Now, there are no's that are very positive no's. I think someone that's not a nice person or a client that's too demanding for no reason or who's taking too many resources or is frankly not a nice person per se, I think that's a really nice no. And you don't have to even do it nastily, as you know. You yeah. just very kindly say, 
we are we don't have the bandwidth we can't take it on and there will be a no for us so i think i there are no's that are good no's i think there are times it's good to also know your limits yes. but there are no's where they are like fun no's because frederick should say i wanted him to invest so i didn't want i was willing to go through the pain because I just thought he'll be a great investor and I'm delighted we have him as an investor. So I think it's, it, they're, they're different types of no's and, and they are, they are, but there are ones also that I think are just, I'm glad there are no's. After how many years he became an investor? He became an investor, we knew each other for three years. Okay. He definitely put a challenge on me, I'm not going to lie. He said I should raise half a million in two weeks to have him as an investor on a very high valuation. Yeah. So he definitely challenged me. It was not like he went on a plate, here you go. Sure. But in a weird way, I have a lot of respect for whoever challenges. As long as, the, as, long as the game is fair and I'm able to prove the worst of the business, yes. I generally think what we've built is valuable. So I can't wait to demonstrate it and I can't wait to prove it that it's valuable. So that I took it as a game as a good Labrador that we all are. Like I'm just a very happy dog that just wants to play the game and want to show this is a good game. I think it's it's very different types where, like for instance, there's some rejections I'm really glad I got because it was just a wrong person yeah. right. with wrong setup yeah. and you're actually kind of relieved. Yeah. Um, it's the same in HR, as I'm sure you all know, there are people who leave you, you're like, thank God. Exactly. And then yeah. there's people who are like, no, let's make it work because I think this is just the right. So I think there are no's, you're very happy that there are no's and, and you let them go in a nice way. And I think they are no's, I will fight. I'm someone that you will see like you when I fight. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I will generally unveil the red carpet because I would feel this is a mistake. Um, so I'm more than happy and I don't have an ego about it. I'm more than happy to recognize that we need to fight for something. Yeah. That's if the best no. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm sure you're the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, and they're good news. You just yeah. go for them and you yeah. just acknowledge that you have no ego for them. And that's life also, you know, I mean, I totally. think business reflects life, right? So you would meet totally. good people, bad people. Uh, totally. People and they change. Out. As we all yeah. know, someone that can be a bit tricky, then sometimes they fight their demons and they're over it two yes. years later, which is why as a good Labrador, I'm like, that's okay. We can reevaluate your case. <laughs> so what is the future of MTR agency? It's a very strange thing for me right now because I think you still start something, you're very ambitious, but you don't really think it's going to work out. I think you do, but you don't. As in, you don't, you keep on saying it on your sofa thinking, we're going to build this amazing talent agency, but deep down you're like, are we really? And then you go to bed thinking, are we really building this? And then um, six years later where we have built this, we now have a crew of incredible clients who are doing this. Um, as you know, geographically, we may be opening two new geographies over the coming six months. And Can you say when? Where? I can't yet say. Fine. Um, <laughs> we um, will invite you next time. <laughs> exactly. And you can come along on both yeah. locations. But I think it's quite magical. To be frank, there's no competitors. Um, there's definitely competitive roots on every component of the business, but there's no real competitor to what we've built. What about the galleries? Sorry, I have this idea, you know, I can't understand if they are happy about what you're doing with artists. Or I think maybe they feel... we're competitive on the sales of the works and some levels of the artists, but we are beyond them um, because they can't compete on some of the public art that we do. Sure. They can't compete on some of the digital strategy that we do. They can't compete on some of the PR that we do. They can't compete on some of the collaboration that we do so that's what I mean by I don't really have a real competitor sure. because like I will sometimes be competitive to the advertising sector or the placemaking sector but I rarely have someone that's doing the 360 like us like a CA 
um, before the rest of the years of Talents. So I think, frankly, the competition is going to come for Melee, and that's why I can't wait to go back, uh, because I feel like it's going to come from the top talent agencies who are going to try and set up what we've set up, yes. or we'll be delighted to offer a way in for us to do it with them, which I can't wait for that potentiality too. But it's quite magical. I think in a weird way, we're number one globally, and you're in a position where you're like, that's it, we're here. And, and frankly, it's endless. I mean, with all the HR challenges that you will have as trying yeah. to go very quickly, but it's, um, it's quite a magical position to be in. How many artists do you represent now? We're currently 37 for the artists. Um, and yeah, and we represent clients-wise, I mean, literally the most incredible collectors in the world. Um, so lucky. I mean, it's also always such a joy. And I have it with you when you walk into your house and you're just like, it's just filled with the arts that you love so deeply. Um, public arts everywhere. Um, brands, um, yeah, I mentioned Gucci, but we've had, frankly, my Teresa Bumble's brands, the caring group. It's just, it's such a treat. And yeah. also what's the nicest treat, because you've met Ines, is I now can afford the top brains. Yeah, and that fantastic. is by far the nicest chocolate ever I could have ever dreamed of. Because I certainly work with people who weigh smarter than I. And I can just onboard them and they are excited and they want to expand the vision. And, and that's all I've ever wanted. And I think that's um, the nicest part of the job is to feel like I can now afford whoever is the top in the sector uh-huh. and I can have them work with me. And, and that I take pleasure in that every single day. It sounds like MTR agency is unstoppable. Well, let's hope. Let's hope. There's only <laughs> yeah. hope. There's only hope. But recruitment is, is Hope one and day. hard work. Yes. Of course. And we have to build those teams and we have to enlarge it. And as you know yourself, size business-wise, it's very... There's, there are tough transition period from every size that the company is going to go through. Yeah. And Maureen, can you tell us something more about your mentors? Because yeah. sometimes you mention them. So I think mentorship for you was a big deal, right? For yeah. your bring. You still, I think, in a, so again, what I was so lucky with is that I walked into rooms that were very intimidating, where I was taken seriously intellectually. And I can never thank them, whether it's Yannick, whether it's Michael, whether it's Reza, whether it's a lot of the early ones. They've given me so much confidence because They've, they've put me in a room where I was there with my jeans and my jumper and they put me there in the room that was insanely intimidating. Like, you know, Michael put me in the room where he had four Rufkos in his house and, and yet listened to me intellectually. And they probably don't realize what they've done, but it's so much more powerful than even mentoring that you suddenly feel so valued. You feel like, and I'm sure I came up with so much crap because of course you do, you're so young, you know nothing about anything but they've made me feel that like I had a seat at the table. And so yes, they also give me tips. Like, you know, Yannick is, Yannick is always scared about my building up of the net. He's obsessed with building up the net. <laughs> He's always been, he used to take me to parties where in Ibiza, um, uh, he had those big dinners and he used to say, everyone on that table has a net, but you, so you should build it. And so he was very pragmatic as a mentor. Um, and he's still like this. He's still always worried about whether we will be sound um, economically and financially and whether we will be okay legally as well. But I think they, beyond that, beyond the daily practical advice, which is very valuable, I think most importantly, they've made me feel valued. They've, you know, I, I, I've entertained 12 people um, in the apartment of Yannick during FIAC and sadly you were Paris for two, but that was super beautiful. and. And he's made me feel, Yannick, that I can invite anyone who is powerful at that table 
and make it my table. That's great. And without saying it, without he hasn't kind of say you can do that. Because he trusts you. Yeah, and I think that's just beyond powerful. I think it's a trust. It, it's a fact that they haven't made me feel, yeah, too young and too ignorant. I don't know how they've done it, but they've done that. And I can totally give that, own, yeah, I can be so grateful for this. That's what my mentors gave me first and foremost. Because after this, I actually got quite a strong vision and I source advice from everywhere. Yeah. But I think they gave me that confidence and they gave me that sense of power and influence. Um, and, and I can see it because when we walk into dinners and we say who is backing us, people are impressed. And they gave me that sense of respect as well. Do you feel now that you are powerful? Um, I think, I, I, you know what, it's a funny thing because I think I'm so anti-80s men power thing in terms of the word itself. Like I think I'm... I want to be an accessible boss. I want to be like, I just, I have a different way to have built that. But I think influence for sure. That's the reason why I'm even more feminist because I realized that I fell into the one million chance of success where I'm happy personally and professionally. I've built the vision I wanted to build and I'm expanding that vision. So I feel a degree of responsibility to make sure those people get to have that. Sure. So I think if power means influence and responsibility totally, in a weird way, I take a lot less risk than I would do six years ago because I, I weight in the impact I can have on other people. And I was a lot more reckless six years ago in a way I would never be like this because of that influence, because you think I have to be mindful of the fact that there are people that it could impact yeah. and, and you have to pass on the influence I as well it. as you can. Yeah. So I think it's more influence than it is power. Uh, yeah, but influence is power. Visibility is power. I'm definitely in rooms like, and we discussed yeah. that before the podcast. I just think I'm incredible that I'm in that room. Um, but now I'm conscious of getting other people in a room. I'm at that stage of my life where it's, it's turning because I don't get, it's not like I don't get excited. I get grateful to be in that room, but I get concerned that there's not enough people like me in that room. Sure. So I think it's, um, it's less about Marine. But it's good that you're there. And uh, as I always th say, you know, I think women, we should be like elevators for other totally. women, especially, totally. right? It's like uh, feeling, well, it's so even yeah. more that it's like just packing it. Like, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> you've opened elevator. the door, so it's just like you and feel quickly. Up. It's yeah. like literally everyone, and then you just pack it, and you close the door again, and you just feel yeah. it, and you pack it. So that's the way I feel towards amazing women that I have around me. Yeah, that's amazing. And Marine, what would you say to the younger Marine, who is living in France. Frankly, beyond grateful. Like she's done so things and sacrifices that were so beyond hard. Um, I think I'm just so grateful for that young person. I think the boldness and the courage that I think young people have um, in doing certain things that we are way too responsible for even thinking of doing um, is, is, uh, is amazing. I would never yeah. be able to be that person again. I really love this, you know, because I think this is what we should tell girls, right? Be bold, be, bold. be brave. Yes, uh, yeah. they will hurt though. My mom did I describe know. it as... It's not as, easy. Yes, she did say it's like watching someone hitting the wall 10 times and finding the door at the 11th time and you're watching and you're like, this is so painful to watch. But and you, did, you do find the door, but I'm going to say that courage does come with pain. Yeah. It's not like a lovely floaty vision. But you know, Marine, I think it's painful all also for people who don't try. Actually, True. maybe it's more painful because, well, you know, they don't try. Yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah, I definitely you tried. Right. I definitely hit that wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you look great. Bruises, you? <laughs> you look great. Thank so you no so signs. much. <laughs> Thank you so much. The makeup always helps, I think, after hitting that wall. <laughs> I know. So what do you think you will do in the future? You will be uh, always in the art industry or you might also do something different or complementary? I think it's interesting because it's, what, it's linked to the question on Pam. Um, it's obviously 13 years I'm in the sector. I think I could have taken it as a battles. Um, the homeless battle is something that I have deep yeah. in my stomach. I just cannot comprehend we're still in that position. The sustainable battle, as you know, deep in yeah. my stomach as well. So I think I could have been someone different for a different sector, but now I'm married to the art sector, but I'm also in a position again of privilege to be heard in that sector, where it's so hard to have a voice in it, and it's so hard to partially be in the position where you can change it. So my responsibility goes in changing that sector deep down. Um, that's my commitment for the next 30 to 40 years because I think that is the position I've been put in. Um, how I will do it, I think I will continue to lead the company, but I will probably be a larger and larger investor in backing other companies within it. Um, so I think I would, I would take probably a different position within it. But I think it will be irresponsible to throw it away because yes. it's just it's one of the sectors that like that door is just not open, it's not accessible to get in. Exactly. So if you can be heard and can be respected within it, then you just got to change it. And then, then you can leave it if it's actually change. But as we all know, change takes time, so I doubt it will be yeah. over by the time I will want it to be over. So I think it will be in it for a long time because I think that change is going to be long. Yeah, I understand completely. But it's really great that you are such a strong game changer and that you also understand, you know, what you're doing and what is happening around you. And uh, and I'm sure you will succeed because you're already doing that. I hope so. That's very kind. Thank you. No, I, I really, really believe in you. I really believe in you. I, I love what you're doing and your story. Thank so you. if uh, some artists are, you know, listen to us, uh, how they can reach MTR agency and eventually reach you? How can they promote yourself? As you know yourself? yourself, we like Instagram a lot. Yeah. Um, so MTR um, agency is on Instagram. I think it's also nice because you can follow all the artists individually and they have the most fascinating vision and it's such a joy to kind of see them rise as well. Um, website, of course, but I think also I'm less, you know, watch away and then just contact us, like just DM us, email us, say you want to visit a studio, say you want to kind of get to know or kind of come to a project or an event. Like we are generally people who we want to see you and we want to like, we want to make you a part of this. So just don't hesitate to just reach out. And you're very interested in diversity and inclusion, right? Totally. So they can be artists coming from all over the world. Correct? Yeah, but you know, it's a funny thing, like we, have, again, that was always, that wasn't the core value of my word boards, which meant it's never been a tick box, but it does mean that we actually have an amazing diversity. Yes. But I, this is the thing is I didn't want my black artists to be called black artists. I didn't want my female artists of to be course. called female artists. I wanted them to just be great artists. Yeah. And I think having done that, because I have rejected all the offers of being be, being a female only agency, all this stuff. I was like, no, I just want to be an entrepreneur. I love that. They just want to be an artist. And that's it. That's, but I think it didn't mean that we have a great diversity. I am so proud because beyond even the skin color and the gender, they come from such different social economical backgrounds. Um, and that's what makes me super proud. I have guys who come from a council estate where it's been really hard and guys who come from a privileged background. You really can't tell who is who um, success wise. And that's what matters because diversity is built on the fact that the access should be there. 
for everyone to start at a similar level yeah. and then be able to rise. And, and I don't also want, you know, to kind of be closing the door to someone that is incredibly talented from a very privileged background. I think it's just, I just want them to be on the same level. So within the company, I would never tell who is who, but you have such an area of backgrounds. Um, so uh, economically as well and socially yeah, it's, and it's, it's so important. nice so nice it's so nice to see them side by side um, and not knowing who is who background wise wow well done no that's a nice feeling well I'm sure you agree to this yeah absolutely no that's why I love your agency and uh, honestly I'm such a fan also of all your artists I don't know who is the best honestly because I love <laughs> almost all I of them I can never answer that yeah either. it's incredible right yeah, it's like having multiple kids you would never say who is yeah. like the favorite like you just don't say a thing you, you just say, say they're amazing in different ways would you like your son to be part of uh, the agency in the future I think it's you know it's a funny thing where again I don't I mean Atlas is I didn't take my turn to leave as you know so Atlas is very much part of my life I made a decision that if I was to hide him from my public life then I would just have to see him I would never be able to see him yeah. so I integrated him completely to my work life and Evan's life and and he means that like I mean, it's so funny he has his own desk in your office and he right? has his own desk and the curator of the Yorkshire's capture gallery um, basically was like do you want to come and visit and I will take a booster seat for the Land Rover and pick up Atlas as well. So like he's totally integrated. I love that. I think the, therefore the, would I want him, to, I, I just want him to be exactly who he wants to be. He is part of the 0.001% of the world where he can be who he wants to be with no pressure yeah. because his two parents will be delighted like you with your kids yeah. to just be happy for him. So frankly, he can do what he wants to do. Of course, he, if he loves what he, we are doing, I can't wait to meritocratically give him a seat, but equally, I don't mind if he doesn't. It's yeah. like, I just, I just, I'm so happy for him. He doesn't have to be someone else. He can just be who he wants to be. So after this, that's for him to write that story. And we can't wait to see what that is. But of course, it can be part of us if he wants to. Exactly. Well but done. you are the same mother. I know, I know you yeah. think the same way. So yeah, 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 I know. And and be free to be whoever you want to oh be. Is biggest luxury. The biggest, yes, the biggest. I luxury. didn't think I had that one. I feel for him is such a luxury. He has it from the start. Yeah. No, you're an incredible mother, an incredible entrepreneur, and well done. So thank, thank you. you for being here. I know you're very busy. I so mean, now I will let you go. Also, so comfortable. <laughs> Why would you not be here? You're surrounded by art. You're being here for the dinner. Uh, you're being filmed. This exactly. is wonderful. Exactly. I will actually give Best you some has. lasagna now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry Best for the has. public. <laughs> Best house ever. Uh, thank you for being thank here, Thank you so much, Marine. And I hope you will come back very soon, I can't telling wait. us about all your projects. I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you everyone for being here with us today. I hope you love Maureen as much as I love her and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to share with all your friends in all your social media and stay tuned for the next episodes.